Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A La Carte, a podcast about NBC's Hannibal. Well, not NBC's anymore, I should say. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> nowhere, apparently. Well, nowhere, because it hasn't been picked up yet. But It's um, just Hannibal. It can still be NBC's Hannibal. It's on NBC. It still is on NBC, so I guess it still could be NBC Hannibal. NBC's Hannibal. We are back in the same place. Which is good. Drinking we also our wine. We are drinking wine yet again. Drinking our Pinot Noir. We took a week off from the wine last weekend. It wasn't quite the same. It wasn't the same. But we also have some new sound equipment this week. Uh, we've decided to upgrade our setup a little bit, and we got to give a shout out. Official. Yeah, got to give a shout out to our friends at Future Unlimited, uh, the friend of ours band. Um, who helped us out by loaning us some gear and giving us some audio know-how. So Thanks, guys. Shout out to those guys. You can follow them on Twitter at, at UNLTDFuture. Um, check them out. They're, their music's pretty good. If you like old kind of U2 stuff, uh, you'll probably like them. Sue. So, anyway, what's your name? My name is Josh Carter. I'm Britt Bird. And... We started this podcast just to discuss this show because we like it a lot. Mm -hmm. This week was a definite return to form. Heck yeah. Um, after a pretty slow, nondescript episode last week, we yeah. definitely amped up the excitement this week. Yeah. And from the looks of the next time on, we're going to be getting an even crazier episode next week. Yeah. I'm, I, for one, am happy that this show is kind of stepping up its game again and... Uh, delivering us the the crazy sadistic strange violent beautiful beautiful fairy tale-esque madness uh, that is the world of Hannibal Lecter exactly you finished that boy better than I could have <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> um you can email us at a la carte podcast at gmail.com um you can also follow us on twitter uh we are at a la carte pod that's a-l-a-c-a-r-t-e-p-o-d you can check us out on itunes rate and subscribe we are uh we will respond to feedback and we will send you emails uh addressed from hannibal lecter so we're also on uh tumblr so we are on tumblr find us on tumblr it's at a la carte podcast.tumblr.com yeah you can send us fan mail or messages there too as well we're all over your social medias. So yeah, drop us a line. We, we'd we love to hear what you guys think uh, of this podcast, but also just the show. Give us your thoughts on that. We love discussing it, and we can't think of everything that this show has to offer, so give us some insight. Throw us a, throw us a bone, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, cannibal puns. So many cannibal <laughs> puns. Okay, so just adding the uh, disclaimer before we get started here, uh, we do spoil. Um, this this uh, podcast is largely about just kind of conjecture and talking about the books and the films as well as the television show. So we could potentially spoil something for you if you haven't read the books or seen the movies or even watched this week's episode um, or episodes past. So if you don't want to be spoiled, uh, go ahead and turn it off. Now, we won't be offended. We respect your lifestyle choices in we not wanting to be spoiled. the anti-spoiler game. Yeah, we do. 
That being said, we're going to launch right into our recap of Hannibal episode 305, titled Contorno. Uh, Contorno means to surround, which is a very apt name for this episode. Everyone's closing in on Hannibal. Interesting. Um, We've got Mason from one side and Alana. Uh, which they have fantastic interactions this episode. They are my bro TP. They are what is bro TP. Bro TP. Okay. Do I need to give you a lesson really quickly on fangirl yeah. language? Okay. Well, OTP means one true pairing. So like Buffy, okay. Buffy and Angel. That's my OTP. Gotcha. So a bro TP is like your one true pairing, but you're they're like they're that's your bros. Like you ship their friendship. And I ship the fuck out of Alana and Mason's friendship. They are my bro TP. Okay. I don't know if I if I ship their friendship. Well, that's your choice. And that's fine. I'm not going to harass you like people on Tumblr do. <laughs> <laughs> or Twitter or the rest of the internet. <laughs> right. So, uh, yes. Bro TP. The more you know. Shooting star. So, yeah. Everyone's, uh, everyone's closing, in on, uh, closing in on Hannibal. We have Mason and Alana. Jack. And Potsy, mm-hmm. and we have Will and Chio uh, closing in from another side. So everybody's converging, um, and some shit goes down. That is for sure. This episode was directed by Guillermo Navarro, who is a well-respected Hollywood DP. Uh, I don't know if he's done much directing, but he's he's been the cinematographer for Guillermo del Toro pretty, for a long time. He did a Tarantino movie. Yeah, he's a pretty in Jackie Brown cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and his style definitely shows through in this episode. I mm-hmm. think he did a fantastic job directing it. This episode was written by Tom DeVille, Brian Fuller, and Steve Lightfoot. Um, so yeah, let's get into our recap. This week, I think we're going to, since everything's all over the board and people, we were jumping around places so many times i think we're just going to kind of break it down by each by character character storyline does that sound good to you i think that's that's perfect yeah uh i guess we'll start with will and chio okay we start with them on a train it's actually the opening scene of the episode uh we get that crazy little i loved it that kind of whip pan across the train as it's going by and then just landing right on right on her her window i thought that was was a cool little uh, cool little film trick. And they're talking about the games that Hannibal used to play when they were kids. And we get this reference to him having an incredible sense of smell. Yeah. Which we know from previous seasons mm-hmm. that he actually even smelled a disease on Will. He, Yeah. I mean, even in this episode, his, his really intense um, sense of smell uh, is mentioned several times in this episode. Um it's referenced twice, and you see it in action later in the episode. So um, I thought that was kind of a cool little throwback. Just a great way to open yeah. the episode and kind of set everything up. Yeah. She also has this really great moment. She perfectly describes Hannibal as a cub. Mm, yeah. uh, he was charming like a cub, but a cub that you you know you can't play with anymore once he becomes a big cat. So it's that was really I thought a really great metaphor good way of describing Hannibal Is, they, I guess they're talking about lion cubs I I would assume so I would assume I a see, lion cub like I, I went bear cub is he a cheetah cub no I went <laughs> I went bear cubs why a bear cub um, I mean 
become a Cubs fan. Oh, good Lord. So baseball, that's immediately oh, no. my association with that word is Bear Cubs. Oh, God. <laughs> so I, I heard that, and then uh, I think it's Will that says he's the big cat that you can't play with anymore. I mean, yeah, it's, then, it's something so to the effect of, like, he was charming like a cub, um, but then he grows up to be one of the big cats, and Will says... You know, and you can't play with him anymore. Yes. Okay. So she's she says the cat, and then so when they said that, I was like, "Wait, what?" (laughs) Totally. Like my mind was in a totally different place because I just pictured a. Your mind went to baseball. Oh well, just no. My mind went to your mind went to Chio playing with a little baby black bear, just kind of like it's a giant live teddy bear. I think they might have meant lions, but I I am just now getting that. It's terrible. Oh, God. Um, anyway. So you did some research on what snails, why snails might be. The big theme this season have been snails. Yes. We, snails we, and fireflies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's mentioned once again in this conversation between Will and Chio on the, on the train that uh, a snail can survive going through the digestive tract of a bird. Mm-hmm. And it can travel the world and essentially be passed out of a bird and survive it successfully. Mm-hmm. So you did some research on this. Um, why well, don't you share with Since the, it's uh, come up so many times in episodes throughout this season, mm-hmm. I just kept thinking there's something to the metaphor of snails yeah. and fireflies. Yeah. And one of the th- interesting things I found out about snails, they are cannibals. Okay, so explain to me what that what what does that mean? So they when cannibals, they cannibals like are, they eat their own kind. Yes, when okay. they are uh, eggs, freshly hatched eggs. Okay. When they're first, they come up out of the ground. In order to start to get the calcium to start developing their shells, mm-hmm. um, which they need for protections like their homes on mm-hmm. their backs, they eat the other eggs to get the calcium in order to start producing their shells whoa yeah so it's a crazy little that is not only are they cannibals but they they're self-protective by destroying their own kind uh which is pretty much hannibal Hannibal. in a a nutshell wow sorry pun intended (laughs) Uh, so yeah they are cannibals um and then we also have fireflies uh, eat snails just like birds do. Uh, they feed off of them. We get Hannibal referencing that later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. He talks about he raised um, snail farms to attract fireflies. What are those called? Cochlear gardens? Cochlears. Cochlear gardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is going to get really deep theory, crazy crackpot real quick. Hold on to your asses, folks. My whole feeling this whole season with uh, Abel Gideon, his conversation with Hannibal about snails, Mm -hmm. Will talking about snails, Will seeing the fireflies, Will using the snails on the firefly. I think there was a certain point where Will has kind of taken over that thing and he's he's always been that snail, Mm -hmm. which I think you've seen because you brought up the analogy of Will's literally traveled the world now because of Hannibal in the belly of the beast. Yes. So I think that Hannibal has now become a snail based off of what Abel Gideon was talking about 
I'm talking mm. about the food chain. Now everything comes back around and who's going to be there, who's going to eat who's you gonna and eat how you are you going to feel, you about gonna feel about it and how are you going to taste. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like So it. now we've got two because snails. Because as we know, fireflies, are you saying that Will is, Will is a snail or is Will going to become the firefly? I think they're both snails. Okay. I think that Hannibal was the firefly. Will created the firefly and put the snails on it to eat the body as a symbolic thing of Will saying, I'm going to eat the firefly that was always eating me. Okay. But I think Hannibal, especially with what happens at the end of this episode and everybody that's chasing him now, I think he vastly underestimated as a character how many people were coming for him and from so many different directions. Now, and here's where my theory gets crazy crackpot. (laughs) Holy shit. Okay. So what eats snails? Fireflies. Fireflies. What literally is a firefly? What has fire and flies? What? Yeah, the red dragon. What? Okay, because literally, all right. Let me let me let me share with you where my mind went to get to that point. Because <laughs> you said what literally has fire and flies, and I was like dragons, and then of course my, my immediate thought was like. Are we anticipating a Game of Thrones crossover? Oh, yeah, <laughs> and you want to save remembered, Hannibal. And then I remembered, oh, Red Dragon. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. what hell? So okay. I think this is all, I mean, okay. this is just all a huge setup for that storyline that we're going to get in the second half of the season. This is, That's a giant. That's, it's a giant crackpot that's theory. That's a giant crackpot but I think theory. Character-wise, they are setting that up. I think I'm stretching a lot of names and metaphors there's a lot of metaphors happening uh, here there but wow i mean that's but as we know it's the only thing i can draw a conclusion on with why they're including so much discussion of fireflies and snails as we know there's still there's still like you said there's still a second half of the season we know who's being introduced the second half of the season Mm -hmm. so like we know that the red dragon is coming Mm -hmm. um Obviously, these characters don't. Hannibal has no idea. Will has no idea where their paths are leading them. But I, I, I don't think that's much of a stretch. I think it's that's just a really heady metaphor. But I think I may be reading into it a little, a little too, too much. much. But I mean, it's still, it's not. It's you're not off base. You just went a little out and left field. Is all, Cubs fan. <laughs> <laughs> Putting it in terms you can well, understand. Well, if you run out of the baseline in baseball, you're out. Oh, good so, lord! Okay, anyway, moving on. Every minute, moving breaks on. Down if you take it too far. <laughs> anyway, I think that's why we have this discussion again of snails, uh, and this time birds. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about these cannibalistic creatures that are part of, a major part of the food chain. Yeah. And I think, in a way, that's setting up what's going to come later. Which is the red dragon mm-hmm. and pre prepare uh, We're getting a lot of foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, but also um, we're getting prepped. Why did I try to say pre-prepared? <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting marinated in the oils and the juices <laughs> that Hannibal is marinating us in. <laughs> we're getting prepped for yes the yeah. red dragon I see. Yeah, at I the end of saying. the episode so that we right. already kind of have a little bit of a primer on who his character is right. when he shows up because they're right. not gonna have a lot of time to deal with him right anyway back to will and chio it is confirmed uh we've we've speculated about this in a couple of episodes past but it, it actually was 
period, point blank, put out there this episode, uh, that Chio is, in fact, um, she was uh, Hannibal's aunt's attendant. Murasaki. She was Lady Murasaki's yes. attendant. So she says it, period, point blank. There's no doubt the or speculation anymore. Reference. We get the first direct reference to that character, mm-hmm. which I will. I would be curious to see if in a hypothetical situation – God willing, uh, Hannibal is picked up by another network and they are able to continue into a season four if that is a character that might be introduced into this world. She's mentioned. Uh, there's she a lot of speculation. I don't really know how she would play into things, but this show is going to look vastly different next season already. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's just so many, there's so many characters um, and I, I have a point of topic for this statement later um but there's so many characters in thomas harris's books that have yet to make their appearance on fuller's show and Mm -hmm. they've already covered so much ground and they've given alana bloom a lot of clarice starling's um interactions and i mean even a lot of her direct quotes this episode alone so they've obviously worked their way around rights issues with Clarice they've worked their way around uh the storytelling they've really taken a lot of liberties in this adaptation but there's still so many rich vibrant characters in that in Thomas Harris's books that they have not yet seen the light of day on the show Mm -hmm. so they they still have a, a wonderful gallery of characters to choose from to bring onto the show. So I'm just wondering if Lady Murasaki might be one, you know, maybe possibly she would be another season. She would be fairly old. She would be. Um, um, and she would have to come visit Hannibal in prison. Yeah. Which I don't really know. Psychologically, I'm just, I don't know how really they would work that in. But I don't know. It's they've just also a thought. done. It's just a thought. Uh, you know, stranger amazing things job. have happened. Yeah. And like show. you said, they give, they constantly give other characters references to a separate character mm-hmm. in the books or the films. Will and, I mean, Will and Alana have pretty much been Clarice for this show. True. Um, Alana a lot more this season than Will. I mean, Alana is, Alana is kind of splitting the, she's splitting center with, uh, Clarice and Krendler. So that's, which is really interesting because in the books, those two characters are in direct opposition of one another. So it's really intriguing to see how they've written Alana to be this character that is willing to sell Hannibal to the high, highest bidder to torture and kill, but also a lot of the dialogue that they've given her is Clarice dialogue. So mm-hmm. it's it's really really interesting, and I like it a lot. I don't think there's any love lost, and we can kind of get into this a little bit more later. But I don't think there's any love lost for her for mm-hmm. Hannibal. But I do think she is torn about the world that she's entering into. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, last episode we saw her really take on and own her dark side Mm -hmm. and then this this week we see her try to warn somebody Mm -hmm. that she knows is probably going to die yeah um so i think she's she's struggling with that okay so back to the so will and chio pretty much spend this entire episode on the train they don't really pretty much chio never gets off chio never gets off the train (laughs) uh Um, so the second scene is we see them, uh, it's that, that great little moment where 
Will's already on his bunk, mm-hmm. and Chio comes in and, and They're in asks. their sleeping cabin. Yes. Uh, and she comes in, and she says, are we obligated to talk? And I just, there's something about Hugh Dancy's line reading right there <laughs> that's so good. Just so good. Um, but he says no, and then they proceed to have this conversation about loneliness. Um and really about how that changes you and affects you. Well, and it's she was a really great. About, like she's just she was just standing still. Yeah, and it was it was really interesting too that she, again, it, I think I mentioned this maybe two or three episodes ago, but it comes back to this like, I I I say this now, but of course, what happens later in the episode totally just shot this all to hell, but. This scene, as well as the opening scene with them on the train, it again, it goes back to what I had mentioned that there's this lonely, lovely little orphan relationship that they have. They've both been orphaned by this person that disguised himself as a mentor. Mm-hmm. And now you sort of see these two very lonely, broken, lost people coming together. And Will almost... Uh, there's almost this sense that Will is almost happy he's almost uh he's almost comforted by the fact that there's another person in this world that's feeling and experiencing what he's feeling and experiencing and so and she can very objectively nail him to the wall like she Mm -hmm. chio immediately she does in this scene she recognizes in him immediately that you you're afraid that if you don't kill him you're going to become just like him because as we've seen will his will is already manifesting a lot of hannibal's mania will is already starting to behave and make decisions and think a lot like hannibal does i mean for christ's sake he let the prisoner go knowing full well that this guy was probably going to come back and try to kill her and sure enough he did because he knew that it would it would force her into action. It would force her to take the life that she otherwise would have never taken. Because I, I don't think he. I don't think he was necessarily doing that to, for to force her to kill. I think like, he absolutely like was. was. I think he was doing an experiment, and I think it's a win-win for him either way. Well, and but and if we're going that route, if that, and I absolutely agree with that as well. But either way, who does that? Who have we seen do that constantly? Who experiments on people? Hannibal. And so, and who experiments on people knowing that it's a win-win for him either way and that it's a means to an end? Who who on this show does that more than anyone else? Hannibal. definitely Hannibal, yeah. So I think that this scene was just another lovely little building block that Chio inevitably pushes over the railing of a train. (laughs) Yes, which because it's a great happens moment in the, ne- in the next time that we see yeah, them. Yeah, um, But before she does, there there's something about this scene, and the way she's talking about it, and the way she talks specifically references there's other forms of manipulation. Mm-hmm. There's other no, than violence, yeah, forms of influence, influence, yeah. uh, not manipulation. Other than violence, and she kisses Will. So there's something about this scene that almost makes me start to doubt her and her intentions towards Will. And maybe she is there on behalf of Hannibal 
in a way. I, according to the next time on, I don't necessarily think that's true because they uh, set it up yeah. that she has a gun trained on Hannibal. And Bedelia even says. But I don't think I don't think that I don't think that rifle's ending up on Hannibal. Well, I think she's. It's going to do the classic Hollywood thing where you look at somebody, and then you trace up, and someone else gets shot. And Jack I Crawford. Don't. It might be Jack. It might be Bedelia. Because I think that 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 her talking about that in both these scenes, both yeah. in the bunks and yeah. on the back of the train, yeah, I think that proves my theory from a couple episodes ago that she and Hannibal had a romantic relationship, and she was kind of the first Alana or the first Bedelia. Either way, she is a Misha surrogate, and so was Abigail, and these bitches need to stop pushing people off of things. <laughs> It's, yeah, they do do that a lot, don't they? they there's a to, lot of pushing off of things in this stop episode. It. No, there's a lot of pushing off of things by Misha surrogates or Hannibal himself. No, but you, or Han- they need to or cut Hannibal, it out. Or Jack. <laughs> or Jack. Um, it's too much, and it needs to be stopped. Stop shoving people. Stop shoving people all the time, Jesus. Uh, no, I I I agree with you to an extent. I think that there is a lot of. Chio is just a giant gray area. Um, and I, I think it is very likely that they could do the typical Hollywood thing where, again, the rifle is trained on him and then it pans up and it's Jack and she shoots Jack because Jack is trailing Hannibal mm-hmm. or Bedelia is trailing Hannibal or maybe it's just a random cop that's trailing Hannibal. I do I do think that is a possibility. There is also a part of me, though. Or one of, of Berger's though, people because a lot of them of go down people. Right. in the books right. before they get oh, yeah. Hannibal into a crate. Yeah, Hannibal actually kills one of them successfully himself. Oh, he kills like three of them. Oh, that's right. He does. Which, which we'll get. I'm thinking of the guy who's. We'll get to he later. cuts his leg. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get to later because uh, that comes into play about how right. he escapes. Right. So I, I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that maybe Chio is completely still devoted to Hannibal and just agreed to go along with Will so that she could get closer to Hannibal. Um, but also, there's a part of me that maybe thinks that she's on this journey and perhaps she sees in will that this is again this is all crackpot theory maybe she thinks that will isn't strong enough to kill hannibal or maybe she wants to take that kill for herself maybe she wants to kill hannibal herself and she needs to get Will out of the way to do it. I think if they're taking the character that way, she wants to kill Hannibal herself. Mm-hmm. I don't think that she thinks that Will is too weak to do it just because of the way she talks to him and she says, do you only understand violence? True. And also she says, I'm not as malleable as you. Yes. So. Well, which that would make her that stronger That would make her him. stronger than him. So, uh, I don't they, know. But she is, she is a bit of a, a. She's a wild card. She is a wild card. We keep an eye uh, on that one. As, as to which way she she's going to get shoving people though. taken. Um, and another thing that I wanted to to put to the table here and get your thoughts on it. So Will gets pushed off the back of the train by Chio. Mm-hmm. Um, the train isn't going very fast, so he's obviously hurt. He's probably got a couple of cracked ribs, but he's okay. He gets up, he shakes it off, he keeps walking. What mm-hmm. brings him to is the return of the stag. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, and we don't have to go into a lot of it, I just want to put this to you to have you think on it until next time. Okay. Brian Fuller has gone on the record 
to say that the stag represents Will and Hannibal's relationship. As we saw in, in the, first, the first episode of this season, it cuts immediately to where Hannibal has left Will, which is bleeding and we see on the, the floor of his die. kitchen. And we see the stag die. Mm-hmm. Then we see the stag return to life-ish as the Stagenstein because it erupts literally from what, Han- from what Will identifies as Hannibal leaving his broken heart. Yes, and in the form Will of the guy's talking torso. about uh, Will talking about how he feels most like himself when he's when with he's Hannibal, with Hannibal, which is so a we form of see love. we see the stag in its full form, uninjured, unharmed, in all of its glory. That's what wakes Will up on the train tracks, and that's what gets him up and on his feet and literally walking the train tracks towards Florence now. So do you think that he's so, going to stop Chio from killing Hannibal? That was my question to this you. This may be the what rebirth is that, what of the is, good Will Graham, what is where he's able to overcome to all the darkness that well, Hannibal has put upon him. But if the stag represents the relationship between Hannibal and Will, what does that mean? Does that mean that it's a it's is it a... Is that a good stag or a bad stag? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't think it's necessarily, it's always got to be one or the other. I think it's just alive. There's that love for Hannibal is still alive in Will. Okay. I don't think that necessarily has to be Will is crazy, killing people, eating people mm-hmm. with Hannibal. Mm-hmm. I think that can also be, they still have the relationship. And this would... Um, facilitate them continuing their relationship outside of the red drag outside of the um sorry this would facilitate their relationship in the red red dragon portion of this season because this would give will a reason to approach hannibal and for help for help instead of being that person that is broken by him yeah hates him doesn't want anything to do with yeah wants nothing to do with nothing uh, that would facilitate them to actually be able to sit down and have conversations throughout the rest of oh the season. Oh, my God. And so then if if Hannibal sends the Red Dragon after Will from inside prison, like... that, We might see the stag die for good at that point. That's a pretty fucking heavy betrayal mm-hmm. for, against someone that you're supposed to love. Because well, you also... I mean, you always have to remember that Will is not a psychopath. Hannibal is a psychopath. We're getting real deep, y'all. So at some point... Hannibal is never going to feel the same way for Will as Will feel, feels for Hannibal. Oh, God. My feels. <laughs> I'm having so many of them so, right now. Yeah, so I think he has every reason to send the Red Dragon after Will at the end of the season. Uh, and Will has every reason to try to save Hannibal from Chio. Mm-hmm. If that's how things go down the next episode. Oh, we'll see. Um, we'll see. Oh, my gosh. We'll see. Yeah, that I mean, that could be what that means. Yeah. I think. So that pretty much covers it with Will and Chio. Yes. They're is, on the that's train. That's the last thing we see from them. There's a conversation. They kiss. She pushes him off the train. And the last that we see of him in this episode is him walking down the tracks towards Florence following the stag. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, we've skipped around a little bit. So going back to a previous scene in the episode, we have Mason Verger and Alana Bloom talking. My bro TP. Mm-hmm. Which is tr- uh, bro true pairing, friendship true pairing. I love them. Thing. I love them so I'm much. Gonna, I'm going to have to remember that. Bro TP. And at the beginning of the scene, 
I think, anyway, we see Alana taking the place of Barney a little bit. In the book Hannibal, we see Barney selling Hannibal's property to Mason Verger because mm -hmm. uh, Mason is collecting things of Hannibal's and desperately paying anyone to give him any, any information, information, any sort of scent to get to yeah. Hannibal. Yeah. So we fill in that gap here with Alana, and she does it by showing uh, Mason mm -hmm. all of Hannibal's china mm -hmm. and says he has very fine taste. This is how we're going to find him. Here's basically a rabbit trail, and she kind of walks her way through Europe of where all these things are from. Mm -hmm. uh, my guess is, I haven't mapped it out, but my guess is that probably points in a way towards Florence because the next time we see her, mm -hmm. or no, it's actually in this scene. Isn't it? She yes. brings out the receipts. Yes, it's in this scene. Uh, yeah. She brings out the receipts of Bedelia's grocery shopping purchases at Vera in Dahl. Florence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we see her at the beginning of the scene being Barney. Which <laughs> is just a really funny way to phrase that. She is talking Mason through how they will find Hannibal. Mm -hmm. Which is they're going to follow Hannibal's taste. His taste, yes. Mason does what Mason does. <sighs> And flips that conversation to be creepy and weird. Let's slow clap it out for Mason Verger getting his creep back. Because you even said, you even made a reference, like you made a remark, I think it was last week, that he's just, he's not as creepy as Michael Pitt's portrayal was. There's not a lot of like... No, I said he's not as charismatic. Okay, well, I have to disagree with you on this episode alone because... We do see him be slightly more Joe charismatic. Anderson was giving me nothing but creepy weird vibes the whole episode. I, I mean, he's going to have to amp it up like three or four levels more to be as charismatic as Michael Pitt. I disagree. I loved him this episode. I loved, loved, loved him this episode. I, don't get me wrong. Everything I like the, right down I like to the his portrayal passive of it. It's little, just not like, as charismatic. little wave of his hand and just a little... Alana, like, no, I don't care. He's so great. Anyway, I thought he was great this episode. Spitters are quitters, and you don't strike me as a quitter, Dr. Bloom. Um, Mic drop, boom. Yes, so very creepy. So my question to you, uh, since as Alana is walking him through this, and we see these cuts to Bedelia at the grocer buying those items, and Alana is basically showing him receipt after receipt after receipt of these purchases, these very specific purchases. Mm -hmm. And then she says she's shopping for Hannibal. You and I have debated this quite a bit. Mm -hmm. What we were focusing so intently on was the train station and her looking at the security camera. Did you pick up any vibes that maybe Bedelia has been leading them right to Hannibal? By going to the same grocery store every day for three months? I think it's very well a possibility. There is a reference. Brian Fuller made a reference to scenes that were cut that will be included on the DVD and Blu-ray at the end of the season, which shows Jack and Potsy at the train station. Okay. Um, and there's a whether or not that, that's them arriving to Florence okay. or whether or not that's them chasing down having seen Bedelia. And maybe they're following the scent from a different side. Okay. Uh, I still stand behind that Bedelia is reaching out. I didn't necessarily read the grocery store stuff as her reaching out as much as I did the train station stuff. 
but now we see that that is in fact the thing that leads Mason Verger and Alana Bloom to Hannibal being in Florence. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do get the payoff of that. I still think she is in a precarious place that she's wanting to get out. Uh, and we'll get to that in a little bit too, because there's like a moment where you can kind of see some disappointment in her face when Hannibal kind of comes up with a plan for he's going to kill Potsy. And she sees like she's she's just kind of stuck back where she was. Um, and then the next time we see them, they are talking to uh, Inspector Potsy. They're FaceTiming with Potsy. Who at this point has run into Hannibal again. He has his confirmation that Hannibal is Il Mostro that he met 20 years prior, mm -hmm. perhaps longer than that. Uh, I can't remember exactly. It's about 20 years. Yeah. It was in the 80s, yeah. So he's confirmed that it is him. And I think it's an important thing. I've talked about a lot in the past that Potsy would, did not strike me as the money-hungry uh, opportunist that he is in the books. Um, and you know what? It wouldn't be an episode of a la carte without me being wrong about some theory. So here we see him find Mason Verger's bounty uh, posting, poster, something on the internet uh, with Mads Mikkelsen's face on it. He sees this and he immediately calls the number and says, I know where he is. Uh, he gets instructions to carry out that, carry out what needs to be done for proof and payment. And we see him have a little Skype call with Alana Bloom and Mason Verger. And Verger outlines for him exactly what needs to be done in order to get paid for bringing in Hannibal Lecter. This scene was a little bit weird for me in the sense that I think it was a little strangely shot. Uh, it does make the mistake that, I, that always irritates me in movies where they show a character on the screen and it's obviously something that they shot with a real camera, but they're supposed to be on a computer camera and Potsy's not looking directly at the screen like he would be <laughs> in, uh, in real life. Um, but then also... The fact that Alana calls Potsy later, says, you don't know me. My name is Alana Bloom. But here she talks with Potsy and he sees her on camera. And she later makes no reference to the fact of, I talked to you, she, I talked to you like two hours ago. She doesn't say, there's, there's never, she never says her name when they're FaceTiming with him. She never says her name. She literally True. only asks him one question, which is, you do realize you, you're comfortable with what you're doing, which mm -hmm. is essentially selling Hannibal Lecter into torture and death. Mm -hmm. So I think it's I, – I, I can understand. I get where your uh, concern with that is. Um, it's but not again, necessarily concerned. It's just kind of – it just – it's, I was watching it's a that little, scene. I was kind of like, little, oh, well, this isn't working quite yeah, as much. Well, in in terms of the sequence of the episode, it doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. But to be fair, again, she didn't say her name. She literally only asked him one question. So 
the next time that she contacts him, it is not FaceTime. It's just a phone call. And mm-hmm. again, and she that that's when she's comfortable identifying herself and basically saying, you don't know me, but you need to know that this is, there's a very, very good chance that you might be killed. And how freaking perfect was her facial expression when she heard Hannibal's voice? Like, mm-hmm. she is, her, oh my, oh, I can't, I can't get over Alana this season. <laughs> I love her so much. I thought that was a really awesome moment. I've, mm-hmm. I've loved it so much. And it's a direct parallel. Again, it's a direct parallel to this the exact same scene that Clarice has in Ridley Scott's film when she calls Hannibal and Hannibal's mm-hmm. right there in the midst of getting ready to throw this guy off a balcony and disembowel him. Mm-hmm. She calls him and Hannibal picks up the phone and almost word for word in the dialogue. It's the exact same scene. Mm-hmm. So I really like that as well. Yeah, that, that moment is a great moment towards the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And we have a new Hannibal catchphrase for the TV show. Just Mason signs off with... Toodaloo. Toodaloo. Yep. Well, that's my sign off now. <laughs> you can have Bonsoir. I'll take Bonsoir. I'm team Verger all day, every day. Oh, that is not a team I ever want Verger to Verger Bloom, man. Verger Bloom. That's my president. So, yeah, that wraps up Alana and Berger's storyline. Can we get to Jack Crawford now? Can we just talk about Jack Crawford? Yes. So, yeah, that wraps it up for Mason and Alana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess next we'll move on to Jack Crawford. Yes. The first time we see Jack is he's arrived in Florence. He's walking around at dawn. All my note on Jack Crawford says is Bella's ashes in a, in a sad face. <laughs> it's a very, it's a it's very sad, sad scene. It's a sad moment. He walks across one of the bridges in Florence and has Bella's ashes with him, which is where they met mm-hmm. uh, a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And he tosses her ashes into the water as well as his wedding ring. Uh, which was an interesting moment for me because there was a little bit where I was like, wait, why is he doing that? Uh, it's a common thing for couples that were very happily married when one of them dies for the one of them to continue wearing the wedding band. Here's my thought on that. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this in last week's episode um, and how the show has given us an idea of time and a time frame more specifically. From Alana going from being in the hospital to being in a wheelchair to walking with a cane. Mm -hmm. So here's my theory on that. Um, Nothing has been said about it as far as I know by Ryan Fuller or by Lawrence Fishburne, the actor himself. But my thinking is this. If we can presume (laughs) that that freaking Will Graham sailed across the Atlantic all the way to Italy... And Jack presumably went right after him or maybe a couple of weeks after him or maybe even a couple of months after him. A lot of time has passed. Mm-hmm. And Jack has had the appropriate, as, as appropriate as it can be anyway, um, amount of time to grieve. What I'm basically mm-hmm. trying to, what, the point I'm trying to make is Maybe a lot of time has passed because if you notice mm-hmm. how he interacts with Potsy and Potsy's wife, 
this is a man that's that's Deep emotional sadness yeah about it this is a man that has come to terms with his grief and he's accepted her death because he even says she she makes a crack you know I, I noticed that you're not wearing your wedding ring and instead of him immediately withdrawing socially and yeah. being really upset about it he makes a crack right back of I noticed that you're wearing your wedding ring yeah you just recently got right yours. and when he says widowed he doesn't say it there's no heaviness to that scene it's mm-hmm. very much a light scene He's comfortable. He's comfortable. He's he's mm-hmm. ready to talk about it. He's okay. So that's why I think that maybe a lot of time has passed. Yes. Between the time that we saw Jack in Baltimore and then we see Jack in um, Italy. Yes. Yeah, so my thinking on the timeline of all of this is that that's what I'm. It's got to be the at timeline least a me. year. So the end of season two was coming out of winter mm-hmm. into spring. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably at least a year. I think this is probably at least a year after that the events of the finale of season two. So we're either in spring or summer of the next year. Okay. I don't think we can. I don't think we can say that this is fall mm-hmm. of the same year. Mm-hmm. Uh, because honestly, I can't picture the Red Dragon storyline working at wintertime. No. Just the way they solve those cases is it's got to be summer. Yeah. He, the, yeah, so that's my thinking on the timeline of everything. It still is just a weird character moment for me for him to throw that ring away. Because I, want, I get that, I yeah. want to assign something to it, why they would highlight that so strongly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that this is Jack putting away his past or – you know, it's not the same moment as Will hoisting the Firefly mm-hmm. tableau mm-hmm. in the basement of Castle Lecter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that same moment, and I don't, I, re- I don't, mean. yeah, I just don't really know what to assign to it. Yeah, I do. I do very much enjoy the Jack that comes out of that, <laughs> uh, but I yeah. don't. I don't really know what yeah. that moment signifies because to me, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne always has that gravitas mm-hmm. that. He is always that big, bold badass that somehow is mm-hmm. – he, he's almost like a ballet dancer, but also the smartest person you know, but also just the r- most rough-and-tumble mm-hmm. dude you've ever met. Like somehow yeah. he's just all of these things. Yeah. And it's brilliant casting. Totally. Because he just carries that weight with him everywhere he goes. His Jack Crawford by far is my best and uh, my favorite interpretation of Jack Crawford. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite. He just. I do enjoy the one from uh, Silence of the Lambs. I, I do, but there's there's something about Jack Crawford. Just he he has the best intentions, and sometimes the worst execution of those intentions. There's a warmth about him, and mm-hmm. he cares so much for the people in his employ. And I think that's all Lawrence Fishburne. That's all Lawrence Fishburne. That's why I like him. And mm-hmm. that's why, God willing, if we can ever get our hands on Clary Starling, I would kill to see some of those really pivotal moments from Silence of the Lambs. With, kill and eat? I would kill and eat uh, those moments, yes. Uh, between, between, his, between Lawrence Fishburne's Jack Crawford and whatever you know actress they brought in for for Clarice I would love those moments um because in the book there is very much this like mentor student relationship that they have that rivals I think in its intensity the mentor student relationship that Hannibal and Will have so Mm -hmm. 
but it's all on the side of good. You know, it's all on this really, really very honest, honorable, you know, law abiding side. Uh, so I would love to see him have somebody to bounce off of. That's not Will Graham. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I, I get what you're saying about just, yeah, you want to assign some sort of meaning to that moment. And I just don't know if we can right now. I almost feel like maybe it's just a device to show us how much time has passed. Honestly, that's it how I come that. at it. That's it, how I come at it. It might just be that. It's just a device to show us that, mm -hmm. okay, look, he, this man has had enough time to grieve his wife. This is how much time has passed, mm -hmm. you know. Scott Glenn is okay. the actor that played him in Silence of the Lambs. What else has he been in? Scott Glenn? Yeah. He's in a lot of stuff. He's Daredevil? He's, uh, Who was he on Daredevil? He's the blind <gasps> his Yeah, his mentor. Mm -hmm. Wasn't he in Deliverance? Ooh, no. I don't know. Wasn't he, on, wasn't he in Jaws? No. Wasn't <laughs> I'm thinking of all of these like random actors from the 70s that I think he is, and I don't think he's any of them. Um, yeah, Scott Glenn has been in a lot of things. He's played a bad guy in a bunch of stuff, too. Mm -hmm. And he's been in several of the Bourne movies. Mm -hmm. um, I think he was in one of the Alien movies. Anyway, I've all, yeah, I've always enjoyed his work. He Is actually... Interesting fact he was on the movie nashville there's a movie nashville yes what uh, yeah yeah it's a it's a old um are you kidding robert altman ah it's an old robert altman film about nashville. country music life in nashville interesting uh so the show is kind of a strange remake <laughs> yes <laughs> anyway uh, but scott glenn actually it's a strange little fact uh, Scott Glenn, uh, Lawrence Fishburne credits him as one of like his mentors. Really? No mm -hmm. way. They were both in Apocalypse Now, and this is one oh. of Lawrence Fishburne's first films. Interesting. And Scott Glenn kind of took him under his wing, and they remained friends for a long time after that. So when Scott Glenn was Jack Crawford, and then Brian Fuller approached Lawrence Fishburne about playing Jack Crawford. That's fantastic. Lawrence Fishburne was like, yes, very much, I want to do this, because he was kind of paying tribute to his friend. Heck yeah. Um, That's really awesome. It's a really cool fact. But that being said, I do like his portrayal. And it may just be because we've gotten a lot more of the character of Jack Crawford than we ever have before. Ever have in, yeah, the movies or even in the books, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that <laughs> uh, was a huge rabbit trail. <laughs> so Jack Crawford throws his wedding band into the river in Florence. Uh, the next time we see him, he's with Potsy at Potsy's house meeting Potsy's wife. Played by Mia Maestro. Yes. Who is on uh, The Strain on FX, also a summer show that you guys should maybe get on board with. If you like vampires, yeah, it's, pre it's pretty good If you show. like vampires, it's, yeah. Pilot of that show, I believe, may have been shot by Guillermo del Moro. Could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, so we're introduced to Potsy's wife, his young, very beautiful wife. Um, well, you and I, <clears throat> so getting to... The so there's a lot that happens in this episode that informs us of Potsy's decision to sell Hannibal for the bounty. Mm -hmm. Um, so and Potsy himself even tells us, he tells the audience as well as telling Jack Crawford, um, I am disgraced, I don't have any money, and I have this beautiful wife, 
And every time I look at her, I think of all the things that I want to give her. Mm -hmm. So we see right there his three motivations for giving Hannibal over to Mason Berger. Which I believe his wife is an important part of that process in the books as well. His psychology, at least. Yes. We hear him talk about that. Yeah. So um, I found an interesting article um, online a couple of days ago um, after this episode aired um, because the fact that Mia Maestro was cast and was included in such a predominant way in the press release for the episode is a little unusual and a lot of a lot of fanables out there think that maybe there's a reason why um, a pretty high high profile actress has been cast in an otherwise kind of throwaway role and it's on bustle.com if you want to check it out it was written by Jefferson Grubbs um, and it's just a couple of theories that and again it might be crackpot theories but it's interesting it's a, it's an interesting read if you're into the universe of uh, Thomas Harris's characters as much as I am. Um, So there's a couple of theories as to who Mia Maestro's character might be um, supplemented for on the show because, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, there's a lot of women or just even a lot of characters in Thomas Harris's universe that have yet to make the jump over to Brian Fuller's show. And as we've seen in, in seasons past, a lot of the a lot of the characters are gender bent. So Freddie Lowndes is now a female. Um, Alan Bloom is now Alana Bloom, mm-hmm. and she has a tremendous more to do than Alan Bloom does in the books. So, so was um, what's her name? Last Hattian Park. What's her character's name? Oh yeah, Hattian Park. Yeah, her character was also a male in the books, mm-hmm. and again another throwaway in the books. But on the show, they gave her a tremendous more to do. Um, so yeah, Jefferson Grubbs had a couple of theories on Bustle.com um, just to kind of highlight these because I think there's a few. Uh, Ardelia Map is a, a, a theory that Mia Maestro's character might step in and play. Um, if you are familiar with the books, Ardelia was Clarice's um, best friend and fellow cadet at the FBI. Um, let's see. Mason's nurse. Mason's nurse. Um the uh, Jefferson said the biggest clue to Maestro's character could lie in the phrasing of the press release. It begins with the following proclamation in all caps. The search for Hannibal continues. Joe Anderson and Mia Maestro guest star. This could be convenient positioning of the episode's two cameoing stars, or it could be a hint that Maestro will be somehow involved in Mason's storyline. Anderson plays the disfigured verger taking over for season two of Michael's Pit. Maybe she'll be, be the vengeful millionaire's beautiful new nurse tasked with caring for the noseless man while he pursues his vendetta against Hannibal. Again, total crackpot theory, but it's out there. Um, well, I, think that, I mean, that one's that one's already gone by the wayside, has it not? Because we've seen Cordell. We have Cordell. Um, this, I think, is more of just like, what if she's just a, a nurse that kind of floats around in the peripheral? Who knows? How would that work? Um, another one is Mason's, uh, or not Mason, Margot's girlfriend, Um Margot, as we know on the show and in the books, is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. In the books, there's a pretty well, and on the TV show too, I think they reference that when Margot wanted to um, uh, have a have a child with uh, one of her girlfriends through mm-hmm. artificial insemination, Mason pretty much quickly shut that down mm-hmm. um, by basically ha- forcing her to have a hysterectomy. 
So uh, there's a theory that maybe she, Mia Maestro's character, steps in and somehow becomes, becomes a surrogate. Um, my favorite of Jefferson's theories, though, is that she is simply going to end up as Hannibal's dinner. I think that one's the most plausible. <laughs> I think that one is the most workable, yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, it, and I completely understand where, where Jefferson is coming from. There are a lot of female characters in that world that have not been introduced on screen yet. So mm-hmm. it could be interesting to see what could happen. Mm-hmm. Because kind of like how Hannibal has um, Misha surrogates, Brian Fuller has Clarice surrogates. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? It's, it's fair game at this point. So, yeah, but yes, the beautiful Mia Maestro guest stars as Potsy's wife, who, as we see, is one of his many motivations for turning Hannibal into Mason Verger. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wanted to talk about with this episode, and this may or may not have anything to do with your theory, is how much of a different world she is from than Jack and Potsy. What do you mean? Uh, you just see it. She's very innocent in the way that she asks Jack even about um, his ring. She sees that he's recently stopped from wearing a ring, and he just she has no qualms about asking him why that is, and not even asking him, but making guesses at it. Um, did you did you, did you see that as more of an innocence about her, or that? Yes, she... I, I think it's more of. I think it's more of her kind of playing detective because Potsy is one and she doesn't have kind of the wherewithal to, to know, like maybe that's not something you guess at. Maybe you kind of ask about that and then kind of approach it more delicately than she has. I don't think she's, she's used to this world and she definitely at least plays ignorant to what Potsy's up to. Uh, later on where she says you know he said he was going to be back by now what has he done i i read the introductory scene of her where she is asking you know jack about bella and you Mm -hmm. know the situation with the marriage i didn't read that so much as an innocence or playing detective as that she's european and i'll explain this europeans have a very different way of approaching relationships and conversations about relationships than Americans do. Social norms. Yes. So I just saw that that she's just more, they're just, they, they, they don't assign this, oh, we can't talk about that mm-hmm. thing that Americans assign to relationships like Europeans do. So, and, and she's Italian, you know, so it's, I just, I didn't, I didn't see it that there was any sort of an innocence to her that she was, playing at what these two do she's kind of you know kind of trying to get on the same level as jack and potsy because she knows they're both detective detectives as so much as i just saw it that like she's italian she's a european woman a very modern woman and you know she's just being very oh i I noticed you're not wearing your wedding ring divorce oh she was widowed well what's her name let's have a toast to her but she's not even being that casual about it she kind of is though no she's being a little more playful no, well, casual and playful, I feel like She's are... innocently making conversation. So that's not playful? That's... No, that is playful. I'm saying she's... 
that is her playing at detective. She's not driving anything home. She's but that's not actually. But that's also she doesn't casual. actually. She doesn't actually care about the information that she's getting out of Jack. She's just making conversation. Sure. Again, which, I think that's but she's a very... doing it in a way that she's kind of saying like, "Oh, hey, I've I've noticed this. Oh, look, I'm observant too, just like my husband." Okay. I just think I just view that as like her being just like from a completely different world than these two men and you even see her leave the room and then they get down to serious conversation about you know the game that Potsy's playing with Hannibal and how they're going to get him and Jack says you know I played that game I lost I don't want any part of it um, and I think them waiting for her to leave before they talk about that she, there's just an innocence there that they're trying to protect I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't read it at all that way I think Potsy would be completely comfortable having a conversation like that in front of her. Because, again, I think they're, they're just... Maybe, but do you think she would scold him for going after a bounty of a well-known serial killer uh, that's very dangerous? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I don't think he would have that conversation in front of his wife. Maybe he would have steered it in another direction, but I still think that he's probably... He would feel comfortable talking to her about a cannibalistic psychopath. Granted, he probably wouldn't. He, would. he wouldn't include the part where he maybe might go after the bounty that's on that cannibalistic psychopath's head. But I think I he don't would think he would even tell her that he saw that man today. I gotta go. I gotta disagree. But again, okay. all conjecture because we've ne I, yeah. we'll never know now. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> will we, Josh? Or, or till next week. So that pretty much wraps up Jack's interactions away from Hannibal. Uh, so now we're on to the main course. Oh, God. <laughs> um, you had to do it, didn't I you? I did. I did. So the first scene we see Hannibal in in this episode, mm -hmm. he is shirtless. Uh, Bedelia is in a bathrobe. Is it safe to, safe to assume that we had post-sexy time? I think there is a physical relationship to them. How does... I don't know, man. I think it's a very, it's a very, I think it is a, an abusive relationship. I don't think it's physically abusive in that he beats her. I think it's more mentally and psychologically abusive in that he traps her into corners and she just kind of has to go along with whatever he wants because of the threat of violence. Because she knows at any time he could take her life. Um, Crazy. So that's, that's what I would think they're. But I think she's going to play along. And, we, and we've seen that she plays along very well. Mm -hmm. Yes, we meet them in this situation. They talk again about snails and fireflies. Mm -hmm. And it comes back around to a conversation about reciprocity, which again is brings back this theme that they've de been developing over the season of, of the circular nature of things. Yeah. Um, you know, the food chain or just in the way that Hannibal... He, he's now having to deal with the things that are coming back around to him. Mm -hmm. he, he's destroyed people. He's destroyed places. And now he's having to deal with those things coming back to him and finding him out in a different place. Uh, and here we see them have that conversation about reciprocity. Uh, in, in the vein of she, Bedelia brings up that Things can be easily tempted away from their nature. Uh, or, or does she say the opposite? That it's hard to tempt things away from their nature. 
Uh, she was more so, I believe, saying that you, that things can be manipulated to go against their nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the sheepdog doesn't want to ravage the herd. Mm-hmm. But that, or the sheepdog doesn't ravage the herd, and yeah, Hannibal says, but it wants. But to. it wants to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a that's a that's a really um, that's a pretty intense psychological conversation that they're having uh and it's all about will graham of course because i feel mm-hmm. like any conversation that hannibal and bedelia have it's always about it's always about will graham it strikes me very much that the the di- the style of dialogue of this show is very much almost monologue mm-hmm. but you have two characters doing the monologue doing the monologue yeah, yeah. no it's it's by far like and I think I said this last week. There's a lot of times where the dialogue, I have to just rewind it and, and rewatch it to make sure that I understand what's being said. I mean, this whole conversation about reciprocity, yeah. Had to at least watch it three times. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it's very... It's complex. It's very intelligent writing. I mean, the writer's room on this show is just... They're brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really heady, deep stuff that they get into. And... I'm looking forward to Will and Hannibal's first interaction after having not seen each other for a very long time, um, as it looks like we might get next week. Yes, yeah, there because was that Because their shot conversations on the, on the are always just, I mean, they're out there. So what did you think about that shot? This is going to go way off track, but what did you think about that shot being them sitting underneath La Primavera? Primavera. Which is also where he met Patsy. I don't know. I don't. I don't have any thoughts on it yet. I'm leaving my mind totally open. Okay. My mind is totally open to that. Uh, anyway. Which brings us to the next scene that we see Hannibal in, mm-hmm. which is Patsy coming to visit him at his office. Uh, this scene plays out almost exactly like it does in the book, mm-hmm. and in Ridley Scott's version of Hannibal. Yep. Um. And we see Potsy. There's like a weird moment where uh, Hannibal kind of stands up and looks towards Potsy mm-hmm. and then turns away a little too quickly. And it cuts to reaction shot at, of Potsy. And we see that moment of knowing that he talked about uh, with Will in episode two. Yeah. Uh, that moment where he knows the moment of epiphany. This is, yeah, it's that moment of epiphany. Yeah. He knows this is the band he's been looking for. Yeah, he's had these all I, all these ideas, and he's been searching for this guy across all of Europe, mm-hmm. and he's found him. He's in the same room with him. So Patsy questions Hannibal about the previous members of the palazzo that mm-hmm. have disappeared. Both disappeared in similar circumstances i guess the rumors about them have been similar uh because they disappeared so suddenly and with no notes no evidence nothing left behind and potsy questions him about this and here's where i think hannibal knows in that moment that this guy's got to go i don't think he's kind of fully formed yet how he's going to do it that he's going to do it so spectacularly. Mm-hmm. But I think he knows this guy's got to go. It's not, this is not just some guy that, you know, it's not an old detective coming back to him and saying, after all these years, I know it was you. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, a little, he plays it a little more innocently and playfully. And then 
straight out of Potsy asking him those questions, he becomes very antagonistic and starts to describe Potsy's family yeah. history to him. Yeah. Uh, and all the horrible ways that Potsy's family has been disgraced through the years. Mm-hmm. And this is just, just the biggest foreshadowing of where this episode's going to end. The end of Potsy. Which I was very wrong about. Can I go ahead and say it? Yeah. You can say it. I told you so. You did. Ah, that feels good. You that's, did. That feels you told, good. You told me from the very beginning that that's... Oh, he, nothing is more satisfying. Nothing is more satisfying. I told you. I told you. I told you. I, I, <laughs> I honestly thought they were taking a character a different way. Mm-hmm. But... This episode alone, though, to be fair, to be fair, this episode very quickly established his motivations yes that we haven't seen of him thus far so yeah it's understandable that you would have gone and thought maybe they'll go another direction mm-hmm. but this episode moved really fast with Potsy's character i mean it 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 really mm-hmm. it set it up it set him up and knocked him right down mm-hmm. so and I thought this scene and the next scene with Hannibal and Potsy um, both were really, really uh, great foreshadowing moments. Because the next scene with Hannibal and Potsy, uh, the gift that Potsy gives Hannibal is pretty literally like a very primitive version of Hannibal's face mask. Oh, very much. Yeah. Like he pulled it out of the box and I just went, oh, okay. <laughs> there's like, there's a little bit there that I don't wonder why Hannibal I just feel like he would have thought it was so appropriate for Potsy to bring him that mask and say this is the mask that my ancestor was hung over the front of the palazzo yeah with his bowels hanging out yeah wearing this mask and there's a little bit where I I'm like why didn't Hannibal put the mask on him but it's Hannibal and I almost want to, my head cannon. You would have thought that was so appropriate, no, 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 no. though. Here's, here's my head cannon, though. Hear me out, because, again, this is all in my head. My head cannon is that maybe he had a moment. Maybe this is just an uncut scene that we'll never see, whatever. He had a moment where he thought about it, but Hannibal has such a deep, abiding respect for history and for antiques that he was like, no, you don't deserve it. <laughs> I'm just going to tape your mouth shut instead. And then, of course, you know, in his mind, before what else transpires in this scene, he had maybe in mind, like, oh, I'll put this on display in one of my little glass cases of torture devices. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't quite pan out the way he wants it to. That's all in my head, of course. But I just don't think Hannibal would want to, like, degrade a piece of history that way. That may be true. He'd rather slap some masking tape over somebody's mouth than you know, risk ruining an antique. <laughs> so Potsy leaves and Hannibal knows he's got to take care of this guy. And we see him very lonely, brooding yet again, playing the piano. And he talks about the difference between, I've never thought about a harpsichord and a piano in that way. But it is very true that harpsichord does have like an immediacy to it. It's a very sharp instrument. It doesn't resonate well. It's very instantaneous. Where he talks about that is like it's, it's it's like an instant. A harpsichord is like a, an instrument that is an instant, and a piano is very much something out of memory. 
It's something that lasts and resonates through time. Um, and it's got that warm feel to it. And then he talks about how Potsy, meeting Potsy today, he's thinking on his old memories and how he met Potsy under La Primavera so many years ago. I just really enjoyed that dialogue. And I thought it was, it's a very interesting way to think about instruments and the feel that instruments have. I'm just here for how sassy the Dilly was in that scene. <laughs> she was a little bit, but this is that scene that I talked about earlier in the podcast where she has that little glimmer of hope as she's talking about po who Potsy is. And then you just see her as soon as he says, like, you know, no, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to kill him, and I'm going to have to kill him in a very extravagant way. You see that hope kind of leave her face where she's like, well, crap, one of the people that I drew here through doing my my routine. I did not read that scene that way at all. It was just that, that, that moment of her performance. I read it as her kind of saying, like, there's a little bit of hope that she's drawn somebody there, and maybe this will change things. And then she sees in the casual way that Hannibal is taking it, she can't change anything. She's still stuck, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. That's kind of how I read her performance right there. My favorite thing about Basilia in this moment is that he's talking about, yes, I did, I did see the dawnings of epiphany. And yes, yes, I'm, I, I, I think he is very well aware of who I am. And Bedelia just very casually, as cool as a cucumber. And yet here you are having this conversation with me. So obviously he didn't kill you. Mm. I just love or it. Or arrest you. Or arrest you, right. Like didn't say anything about knowing who you were, in fact. So I just, I love that she, oh God, Bedelia. And between Bedelia and Alana this season, I have every female aspiration i could ever hope for on one show bad bitches they get shit done y'all <laughs> uh so coming out of <laughs> <laughs> bad bitches get shit done y'all uh, it's, it's the capper coming out of that scene we get the final sequence of this episode can we talk about this sequence right quick it's, <laughs> Holy shit. it's so good oh my god i pretty much love this sequence from start to finish yeah yeah uh, yeah we start with potsy coming in with the death mask yeah which we talked about him trying to get hannibal's knife yeah that hannibal's been eating a pear which i don't really know what the significance of the pear is if there is one at all it's a uh, sensible snack i suppose uh, it's a it is appropriate snack. to the region. The pair is people. <laughs> oh, God. The pair is people. The pair is people. Hashtag the pair is people. <laughs> um, so he's trying to get Hannibal's knife because it has a thumbprint on it. And he makes the one mistake that you should really never make with a cannibal. Don't turn your back on which him. Which is he turned his back on yeah, him. Yeah, he turned his back on him. That was dumb. He shouldn't have done that. And it costs him. He gets tied to a furniture dolly. Mm-hmm. And we get that uh, great little interaction where Alana calls mm -hmm. Hannibal. It's just, he's always so casual while doing the most horrible things. It's the most, it is the, it is the extreme version of running into your ex. <laughs> 
It yeah. is. It's the most extreme version of running into your ex because she calls this man to warn him. And I feel like it's a little bit of Alana's good side that we've seen in the past few seasons. She has a moment of no, that's clarity. that's exactly what it is. You're right. She has a moment of clarity where she realizes, fuck, 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 fuck. I'm helping this guy who is as crazy as Hannibal. What am I doing? I've got to stop this. And she calls Potsy. And instead of Potsy answering, it's her fucking ex. Mm -hmm. It's the most awkward, extreme run-in of an ex that you can possibly have. And you see it in her face. I mean, Caroline's acting in this moment is brilliant. She doesn't have to say a word. There's this little quiver in her chin. And that tells you everything you need to know. She's hearing him for the first time and presumably, like, what, a year? She's hearing him for the first time. And he even goes so far as to say, it was really lovely talking with you, but I, mm -hmm. can't, I can't talk to you. I have there's to talk to you. There's nothing I would want to do more. Yeah, than there's nothing in this world I want more than to talk to you, which, again, direct lift of dialogue from Hannibal and Clarice to. to um, Hannibal and Alana and it's just this moment where there's like you see she's got that little heart flutter of like oh my god it's him but also oh shit it's him <laughs> and it's the most extreme version of running into your ex that I can think of mm -hmm. uh, Hannibal hangs up the phone and does the appropriate thing that he feels for Potsy which is bows out hashtag bows out bitches uh, throws him out the window and my theory came crashing to an end. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's that wonderful shot immediately following it, which is Jack standing in the courtyard. Mm -hmm. And you see in the corner, there's the this man's bowels and a blood mm -hmm. sp splatter. Mm -hmm. And Jack just standing there, hands in his pockets, just so stoic. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a, it's a beautiful shot from the acting to the framing to the, the lighting and everything. It's just a great moment. And Hannibal tries to take off, uh, but Jack is too quick for him this time. And Hannibal realizes he's trapped, and he starts to try to goad him a little bit, as he usually does with people he's he's about to kill, and he's always bested in the past. Mm -hmm. But Jack pulls a little piece of Hannibal's playbook and takes off his shoes. Here's my here's where I here's what I want to put to you. I want to open the discussion for this because mm -hmm. I'm really curious as to what you took from this scene. Mm -hmm. So I noticed it in my first watch of this episode and I looked for it again on our second rewatch and I saw it happen again. And this is what I want to put to you. And this is why earlier we had talked about Hannibal referencing his sense of smell or Chio referencing Hannibal's sense of smell. Mm -hmm. There is a moment that Mads takes where he visibly, you see him sniff the air. And then there's a little bit of a troubled expression on his face. Mm -hmm. He can't smell Jack and he can't hear him because he took off his shoes. But for whatever reason, he can't smell him either. And the reason that I think this is that the way that, the, the way that Mads, from my impression anyway, was directed is that he's a little concerned he cannot get a read on jack at all mm -hmm. he can't smell him he can't hear him he can't see him of course and then that music starts and jack is toying with him and jack has taken off his shoes so there's a little bit of me that thinks that and this this might be a crackpot theory but hang on just go with me here so 
Hannibal has said that the way that he can typically sense another person's presence is by their heartbeat and the scent that you put off when you're afraid. Can we maybe assume, just spiraling off of this here, Jack was able to slow his heart rate and calm himself because he knows now how fucking Hannibal works. Like, he knows now that Hannibal can, like, detect things on a on a on an extraordinary level that not many humans can i think that's a little too kung fu no no no. but jack is kung fu man he's crazy he knows this guy he knows him because now because he's been beat by him before so what's he gonna do he's gonna know everything about his opponent that he needs to well i think he's studied everything he possibly or maybe he was just so calm because he's like he's fucking ready for it like he's ready to just beat this guy down and he's not afraid anymore he's not afraid of hannibal anymore. he's not afraid because he doesn't have he really doesn't, doesn't have anything, anything to, to lose. lose and he's not he's not yeah. doing it for his job anymore no he's more of doing this out of pure revenge just good old-fashioned revenge yeah there's a part of me that i watched that scene the first time and i was sitting there thinking holy shit this guy this guy knows now he knows how to operate because he gets Han- the drop on Hannibal. But Hannibal did not see that shit coming. Han- no, he didn't. But Hannibal... Jack literally popped up behind him, and Hannibal didn't even... Like, there was nothing but on Hannibal his knows, face. But Hannibal knows he's in the room. He knows he's in the room. He doesn't know where he is. No, no he no, he doesn't know where he is. I don't think... I don't Hannibal, think Hannibal always Hannibal knows where... Hannibal can't hear every- heart rates. Heart rates. Yeah, he can. No, he can't. He's mentioned it in, like, past seasons. He can hear people's hearts. Like, he can... His, his senses are so fine-tuned, he can literally smell when they're afraid and he can hear when their hearts have changed. I don't... Uh, I don't remember that. Like, um, this guy... This guy can, like, borderline see in the dark. Yeah. As we've seen from past episodes. For I mean, me, that, that moment is more about Hannibal is trying to get away. He doesn't want to fight Jack again. I don't that, think that's true at all. I don't think he wants to fight Jack at all. Because he that fight did not go well for Hannibal either last no. time. I mean, Hannibal almost died a couple times in that fight. Well, he definitely almost died in this fight. Yeah, but I don't think he wants to fight Hannibal at all. Or I don't think he wants to fight Jack at all. And I think he's taking off out of the room. And then you hear a door creak. And I think he knows that Jack is then in the room with him. He's trapped with Jack. And that this is going to happen again. And that's when he starts to goad him about Bella. And says, did you get my note? You know, did you, you know, did you practice your injections on an orange? You know, saying that thing of like the, a doctor has to do that when they first start. They practice their injections on oranges. And he was saying, like, did you have to do that with your wife? And just kind of getting to that point of, like, I know you killed her. And he's doing that. And while he's doing this, Jack pulling a piece out of Hannibal's playbook. Because you have to remember where this show started, too, which is Jack's nemesis was the Chesapeake Ripper, mm-hmm. which was Hannibal. Mm-hmm. This dude is poured over those case files for mm-hmm. so long yeah and so he kind of knows how this person operates 
And so he pulls a little piece out of that exact playbook and takes his shoes off and comes up right behind him and then just delivers the beat down of a lifetime to him. I just, I, there's a part of me that feels like Hannibal was probably like looking or, or, or was smelling for a scent and didn't get it. And that, that, that was, that was what was, Jack was able to get the drop on. He visibly smells. Like, I don't. I don't think it's that complicated. I do. I do though. I do. I think that he was like, literally, this person because his senses are so fine tuned. He was searching for any sign of where Jack's location in the room was. He knew he was in the room, but he didn't know where. He didn't know where. No, no he didn't know. He didn't know where. I'm not saying he knew where, and he just didn't do anything about it. I'm saying. He didn't know, but it but doesn't... But that that's the thing, though. That's the thing, is that if he had known where in the room, Hannibal would have behaved differently, I feel like. All he could do was literally walk a straight line towards the door and pull out his knife, and Jack still got the drop on him. Hannibal did not know where Jack was in the room. We agree on that. I think it's for other reasons besides the fact that Jack took his shoes off. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that complicated. Okay, well, maybe and it's especially, not. Especially in a visual medium, we would have gotten some other sense of Hannibal, you know, and especially in a show like this where they give you hyper close-ups of things. Yeah. Uh, obvious tells of what Hannibal is doing. And he like, oh, he's smelling. It's a close-up of his nose, and there's like a slow-motion, you know, moment. We don't get anything like that. We don't get him listening for Jack. He's just going, all right, this is going to happen. And Jack gets the better of him. That's what I simply think. I just think it's simply that. So Jack just whips Hannibal's ass. Mm -hmm. um, there was a moment there at the end of it when Hannibal's sitting on the windowsill and Jack turns back to the uh, grappling hook that's sitting on the floor. And there was a moment where I just went, no, don't, don't turn your back on a cannibal. Don't do what Fozzie did. Don't stop. And I thought right then and there, I thought it was going to go badly for Jack. I thought something was going to happen and this was going to go poorly for Jack. Uh, but it doesn't. He knocks Hannibal out the window after Hannibal asks him, how are you going to feel when I'm gone? Jack oh so confidently says alive and just knocks him right out the window that was so dumb yeah um, I I was expecting more of something of him pulling a Texas chainsaw massacre on him and hanging him up by a hook out the window yeah next to Potsy but he just he kind of just hits him yeah with the grappling hook interesting thing there is that the in the book Hannibal how Hannibal escapes that similar situation with Verger's men closing in on him right after he's hung Potsy out the window is he throws a sheet out of a window on top of somebody and slides down the sheet and kills that man oh wow uh, so there is precedent for him to basically fling himself out of a window yeah slide down a some sort of rope sure and escape in this case he just slid down potsy's body and innards bowels <laughs> a little bit yeah um 
And we get a mirror shot of when Jack was in the courtyard and Hannibal looks up. But he's he's right on top of the the guts now and he looks down at him and then he looks back up at Jack. And, and they part ways. And that is where the episode ends. Hannibal's in a in a bad spot. Jack probably has some explaining to do. Nah. To I the police. He does, I'm sure, but I mean as we saw in the next week on, you know, Will will even ask him why didn't you kill him? And Jack says, Maybe I need you to. Mm-hmm. So we will see. This episode definitely had a lot more to offer than last week. Moved really quickly. Um and it's presumably setting us up for even more exciting adventures next week. Mm-hmm. So again, it was just poor timing last week for NBC to to cancel the show right before that episode. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know they were trying to beat contract deadlines and things like that, which we've heard a lot about since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but this episode, I think, if this was people's first episode of Hannibal. Uh, I think it would have drawn a lot more people in yeah. than last week's episode. I think this episode is one of the stronger episodes of this season, if not the show. Uh, just because, for me, it hit those notes so consistently throughout. And especially ending with that fight sequence was just something I was not anticipating, something I was not ready for, something I was dreading the entire time it was going on, going what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, but just played out in such a badass way. Yeah. So, yeah, how did, how did you feel about this episode as a whole? Uh, favorite episode of the season thus far, I think. Definitely made up for last week uh, in terms of how it moved and what it's setting us up for. There's something that, like, I don't know, there's something about Hannibal that reminds me a lot of how Game of Thrones works. Game of Thrones, every season without fail, episode nine is always the episode of like some shit's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Hannibal has kind of kept on with that that kind of thread. It's always usually been episode four. It's like episodes between four to six of the first half of the season where something big drops, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to kind of lulling. It's a slow burn, and then it drops again in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. 12 and 13. Right. So there's something about it that has always made me anticipate that obviously we get an idea on the next week on, but also just pattern has shown us that this episode or next week's episode will be the big episodes of the first half of the season. Um, They've spent the first four episodes reestablishing things that we already knew, catching us up where everybody is and what condition they're in. And now, now we're kind of free to move forward, I think. So well, now everybody is basically in the same place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because got... I mean, we have Mason, Margot, and Alana all in the same place, and we have Jack, Will, Hannibal, Chio, Patsy, may he rest in peace, and Bedelia, <laughs> all in the same place. Mm-hmm. So the only the only pieces of the puzzle that really have to be moved would technically need to be Alana and Mason, but. Mason never moves from the farm. He never goes anywhere in terms of this storyline. He's always the one that just sets the bounty and they're supposed to bring Hannibal to him. Mm -hmm. So he's going to stay in one place no matter what. Mm -hmm. Alana, I don't think Alana has any reason to move. 
No. Because if Alana is splitting center, like I said, if Alana is splitting center with Clarice and Krendler, if they're going to err more on the side of Krendler with her, she stays. She doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't move. She mm -hmm. stays with Mason. So I think that they've got everybody in place where they need to be, and now mm -hmm. they can move forward. And this episode was a prime example of that. Mm -hmm. this, this was a great episode. I thought it was fantastic. And we see on the next time on, I, I think the next time on of this might be one of my favorite next time ons I've ever seen in anything where they just straight up say, we've got a lot of stuff we can't show you, but, <laughs> but just trust, trust us. us. It's, it's going to get crazy. And, and they use like, Lacrimosa, which is one of the most epic fucking funeral dirges of all time. Like, yeah. yeah. And just why, like when they, when they said like, trust us, it's going to get crazy. My first thought was like, this show's already crazy. Like, what are you? What else <laughs> what are you, you gonna do? Have? Yeah. Yeah. Where are you gonna go with this? Um. So yeah, that's episode three hundred five of Hannibal. In a snail shell. Yeah. See what I did there? A snail shell. Mm -hmm. I tried nutshell, then snail uh. shell. <laughs> <laughs> I've had wine. You're take, no, but you're taking over my dad jokes now. <laughs> So? My stupid, dorky jokes. Oh, God. Protective anyway. of these. You're smarter than that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's episode 305 of Hannibal. Uh, <laughs> this has been another episode of A La Carte Podcast. You can reach out to us via email. Uh, again, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, let us know your crazy crackpot theories or if you think we're crazy wrong in our crazy crackpot theories. We want to hear your crackpot theories. Mm -hmm. And you can reach us at a la carte podcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. That's A-L-A-C-A-R-T-E podcast at gmail.com. Where can they find us on Twitter and Tumblr? Um, they can find us on Twitter. It's at a la carte pod. Yeah, a la carte pod at Twitter. Um, and if you want to give us a follow on Twitter or uh, follow on Tumblr, rather, and uh, retweet or reblog our things on Tumblr and whatnot. Our, uh, our Tumblr is the same thing. It's a la carte podcast.tumblr.com. Find us on iTunes. Uh, you can simply search a la carte, and we are in the top 10 of those. Uh, now you can look for our logo. It's a little wine bottle with uh, some stag antlers. Uh, rate, subscribe, leave some comments there. Let us know you're listening. Um, we like talking about this show, but we don't do it for our own edification. We like to do it because we like to participate in discussion about it. So let us know what you think. Let us know your opinions on our theories, what your own theories are. And who knows? We maybe we might read some emails and respond to them in future episodes. So... Signing off this week, my name is Josh Carter. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Josh B. Carter. Where can they find you, Britt Bird? I'm Britt Bird, and you can find me on Twitter at Britt L. Bird. That's Bird with a Y. Two T's. Two T's. <laughs> um, so until next time, bonsoir. Toodaloo.